Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Epistle Lesson, the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians, these words, And being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death upon the cross. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Remember the ancient legend that comes to us from Alexander the Great's conquest of the Persian Empire back in probably 300 BC. In that conquest, it said that Alexander's soldiers overran the palace of Darius the Persian king and looking for things to plunder, it said, the soldiers came upon a leather bag that contained something amazing and contained all of the crown jewels of Persia that had been placed there, the stones being priceless. But as unbelievable as it may seem, the soldier that came across it, thinking that the stones of that kind of value would never be stored in a leather bag, determined that they were a decoy. And so rather than keeping the stones, he dumped them into the rubbish, so the legend goes, and he kept instead the leather bag and then proceeded to go about the camp boasting about this wonderful leather bag that he had acquired. How often what that soldier did is so much like what so many of us so often do, how often in life people throw away the priceless jewels and keep only the leather bag. Think about it in terms of our own lives and the lives of other people around us, the lives of those that we have seen in days and weeks past. It happens in our relationships with each other when we get so angry with one another over some really insignificant event or some insignificant thing and then we harbor a grudge against one another and build a wall between each other and that wall stands there just about indestructible not only for hours but often for days, for weeks and sometimes even for years. What a waste of time. What a waste of such precious moments. We throw away the precious gems and we instead in that way keep the leather bag. It happens every time that an uptight parent or a peer-pressured teen becomes so enslaved, for example, to some substance that they get all caught up in that in their lives. They drop out of their families rather than drying out. And they throw away the priceless gem of family for the leather bag. It happens all too often, as we've seen as of late, even in the highest ranks of government, as we heard about this past week with the governor in New York, or it happens with the 25% of our nation's teens who, according to studies released this past week, engage in premarital sexual relationships, carelessly throwing away something that's so precious to them, throwing away also their Christian convictions and their commitments, throwing away the jewels in order to have the leather bag. It happens when we get so excessively caught up in our careers and our materialistic desires that we count them more important than our families or our faith. We throw away the precious gems and jewels and we keep instead the leather bag. It happens when we so carelessly embrace the ethics of our time 
over against the clear word of God, the philosophies, the hypotheses of this secular world in which we live, that we sacrifice the eternal truths of God's word. And we keep the leather bag and give up the precious gems and jewels of the faith. It happens when we to whom is freely offered the life-saving word of God and the life-giving sacraments of God neglect them week after week and sleep in or work out. We sacrifice the precious gems and all for a leather bag. It happened also in that first Palm Sunday when throngs of cheering children, when virtual armies of adults rallied around the Lord Jesus Christ who was coming into Jerusalem shouting at first their hosannas and waving their palm branches in the air and throwing their garments on the road in front of him welcoming their deliverer into Jerusalem but he hadn't come to deliver them from what they thought he was coming to deliver them from. He hadn't come to deliver them from Roman rule and occupation. He had come to deliver their souls and the souls of all of mankind from hell's eternal rule and from satanic occupation, political freedom, for Jerusalem wasn't on the Lord's agenda that week. Something far greater, something far grander than the human eye without the element of faith could ever see was on his agenda, namely the eternal freedom of every man and every woman and every child's soul, a freedom to be won, not by armies and by uprisings, but a freedom that could only be won by an army of one upon a solitary cross. As word got around that our Lord's agenda was so different from what the agenda of the people of the city was and what the agenda of the political activists stirring up the crowd was, Sunday's hosannas, as you well know, turned quickly, as we heard in today's gospel, into Friday's crucify him because he doesn't plug into our agenda for this world and for life. And they threw away the precious gem. And they kept instead their leather bags. After all, would the priceless gem of deity be found in the skin bag of humanity? They were blind to the identity of the cross bearer. They were blind to the necessity of the cross but Jesus wasn't. He, with his face like flint, as is indicated on our service folder bulletin, set his face toward that cross for your sake and for mine. And if anything, today as we begin now Holy Week, should cause us to give thanks for what we have and for what he did. It should be the fact that he set his face like flint toward the cross and toward Jerusalem to do what he knew that he had to do. He didn't throw away the priceless gems for the leather bag. Being found instead, St. Paul says, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even death upon a cross. Is that cross and Christ upon it for you going to be the central focus of your thoughts in this coming week? Or as the 16th century hymn writer asks, are you going to pass by the cross unheeding, breathing no repentant vow? Are we going to get so caught up in our own personal affairs and agendas 
that we forget the agenda of God, especially in this coming Holy Week? Will we throw away the crown jewels and instead keep the leather bag? That occupied cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he did upon it is central. It's the essential. It's the irreplaceable heart and core of our Christian faith. We preach Christ and him crucified. I would know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. St. Paul said, far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. The cross and what Christ has done upon it, what we think upon this week is central to the heart and the core of all that we believe because the cross speaks to us. If anything in the world speaks to us about our sins, it is indeed the cross. It says that our sin is serious business. And that's a message that needs to be heard, isn't it, in our callous age? Sin is still serious. It's as serious as it ever was. Interestingly, Christian psychologists and are speaking to that very issue, Christian sociologists as well, and they tell us how man is trying to deny his sinfulness. It's nothing new. It's what we've been doing for generation upon generation. So it is that the sociologist Charles Sykes has a section in his book entitled The Abolition of Sin. And some of you will remember also the name of Dr. Carl Menninger who authored a book entitled Whatever Happened to Sin? Well, Scripture says and tells us and sets before us what happened to sin and it makes it very clear to us that man can't abolish it of himself, that only God can do that and only God did, that sin has taken up residence in each human heart and therefore has such an impact on each human home. Man can try to hide his face from that fact if he wants to, but he can't hide it for very long. Ultimately, he has to face the music. He has to face the music. You know where that phrase come from? Some people say that the origin of that phrase was actually with the, the British military practice of playing the drums when court-martial charges would be made. People then would have to face the music. There's another ancient legend regarding that, uh, the, the origin of the phrase facing the music, another one that comes from China. It seems that a man was somehow able to join the royal orchestra of the emperor of China even though he couldn't play a note. And month after month he'd sit there and he'd just go through the motions of playing his flute until one day the emperor decided that he would like to be entertained by the individual players of the orchestra. And each of them would come in on their own and play before the emperor. And the man was then desperate knowing that he would be found out. And so he attempted desperately to find someone with, from whom he could take lessons as quickly as he could that he might be able to be prepared in time to play for the emperor and finally on the day of command performance knowing that he was completely unprepared so the legend goes that he took poison and he took his life rather than face the music it makes no difference what the origin of the legend is or the phrase is face the music is what we all eventually and ultimately have to do, hide from the reality of sin as much as we might try, call it by another name if we will, lessen the effect of it by calling it a mistake, whatever it might be, or errors that we make, or weaknesses that we have. Sin is still sin and man cannot abolish it. Ultimately, each man must face the music. Thank God. 
Thank him today and especially in this week to come that you and I would not face music on our own. Thank God that we in fact have a savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, that faced it for us and in our stead, that faced the dirge of death that we deserve to face, the eternal consequences of our sin for us there on the cross. God made him, as we have heard Paul say so often, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might be the righteousness of God. That cross speaks. And it says to us, sin is serious. But it also says you have a savior who took your sin seriously. You have a savior who then, because he did, did something about it, a savior who would not be sidetracked by the cheering crowds, but a savior instead that with face set to the cross, went to the cross and said, look at me. Look at me, a sacrifice for sin appointed. See him dying on the tree. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, as the ancient prophet says, pierced through for our transgressions, on him the Lord hath laid the iniquities of us all. See, St. Peter says, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And as we've heard repeatedly during this Lenten season and every Lenten season, the gradual in our services, fix your eyes then upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. The cross speaks not only of our sin, but the cross speaks also of God's sacrifice for it. In the week to come, don't become numb to the account of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ because you've heard it so often before. Do not become numb to what it costs God for your salvation, for to do so would be to throw away the gem, to keep only the shell or the leather bag. When you look at Jerusalem on that first Sunday, that's what happened to them. They had in so many ways become numb to the crucifixion. You see, they didn't understand what was happening. They didn't understand that God was about to die. St. Augustine put it, the deity which had put on my flesh climbed the gallows of the cross and in that assumed flesh he painfully suffered capital punishment for us. But Jerusalem had grown numb to executions like that. Perhaps that's why they were what they were in that week. They knew what Roman capital punishment was all about. They'd seen their share of it, and they'd become numb to it all. You see, not many years before Jesus arrived to Jerusalem, a zealot revolt had been put down by the Romans, and they gathered together all of the rebels who had revolted against them, a total of about 2,000. They crucified every single one of them, each on a cross of their own, where on the same road upon which Jesus had ridden the donkey coming into Jerusalem, 
Imagine it, imagine going up Lawrence Avenue here, Lawrence Expressway to, to 280 and then taking 280 down to the HP Pavilion downtown. And imagine seeing a cross with a corpse on it every 10 yards or so for those 10 or 11 bloody miles. They were familiar with crucifixion, perhaps all too familiar, but they were unfamiliar with the one who was about to be crucified for them. And so it was that Jesus, approaching the city from a distance on that road, paused, scripture tells us, and he wept. No, Greek says that he sobbed. He sobbed, an audible weeping. Jesus sobbed over Jerusalem. And he said, knowing what they would do, if thou hadst known in this day the things that belong to thy salvation, but thou knowest not the time of thy salvation. And this week in this land, in this city too, there are thousands upon thousands who do not or will not know those things which belong to their peace. Men and women and children who do not or will not know the day of their salvation. Thinking it incredulous that any British citizen would possibly be ungrateful for the brave young men and of the Royal Air Force who had sacrificed their lives to guard their homeland, Winston Churchill once said of them, never in the history of mankind have so many owed so much to so few. But this week, dear friends, as we think upon the cross, as we consider who took our place upon it and what he did for our sakes eternally, would we not say much more of him than Churchill said of his soldiers? Would we not indeed say of him, never in the history of the universe has all of mankind owed so much to one isn't that what we would this week say? Holy Week has begun. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.